Hey guys, and welcome to episode 48 of Underrated, a show where we talk about great films that just don't get enough love. I'm your host, Gabriel Green, and I am here with my co-host, James Hamrick. How's it going, man? Pretty good. How are you? Uh, pretty well. I am like completely flying by the seat of my pants uh, this recording. I have like absolutely no notes, which I know I said that last time, but I have even less this time. So <laughs> this will be fun. Uh, and so today um, we are joined by a very special guest. It's uh, Don Shanahan from Every Movie Has a Lesson. How you doing, man? I'm doing real good, Gabriel. Doing real good, James. It's good to hear from you guys and uh, good to finally kind of uh, meet you virtually in person. I see profile pictures on Facebook, but I now get to put a voice with the face. So that's always a good time. Yeah, likewise. And now I can uh, look like imagine you while I'm arguing with you about masterpieces or something. I know, I know. I, I'm like, what? What are the? I'm, you know, I, I'm sitting here thinking they they can't sound like chipmunks, but in my brain, I'm like, they sound like chipmunks, and I'm sure they don't sound like chipmunks. <laughs> um, and so you just want to you know, introduce yourself and you know what you might be up to online and all that. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm Don Shanahan. Uh, EveryMovieHasALesson.com. I've been reviewing films on that site for uh, seven years. And uh, I'm the, uh, one of the directors and co-founders of the Chicago Independent Film Critics Circle. We're a, a second uh, awards voting critics body here in the city of Chicago, next to the Chicago Film Critics Association. And uh, we are in our second year, having a good time with that. We're entering award season and just tidying up our what we're going to do for awards and hopefully accepting screeners and all that. Uh, when it comes to movie reviews, um, I'm the kind of guy, I'm a school teacher by day. I'm an elementary school teacher. So my lens to things is kind of um, the education slant. And I can't. I've always kind of found that the more and more I've become a you know professional in terms of being a teacher and still being a movie fan, that I can't really separate the two. So when I review films, I always look for the life lessons you can find in every film, whether they're serious or farcical. So that's kind of my little niche or slant when I do different reviews. Um, I publish those on everymoviehaslesson.com. They also get published on medium.com, um, on creators media as well. And I'm, I, every now and then I tinker with uh, a little bit of a YouTube thing where it's called the movie classroom, where I take an interactive whiteboard app as if I'm some kind of school teacher drawing up equations and stuff. And and I write kind of, you know, dorky little notes at the same time my reviews kind of being read audio wise. So that's kind of a different presentation of stuff that I've been playing with. And uh, you can find me, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, all at that same every movie has a lesson tag there. Very nice. Um, and I th- we should probably uh, introduce the film we're talking about. Uh, what are we looking at this week, Don? This is your pick. Uh, this week, it is my pick. Um, I went uh, through my my uh, year-end list over the years that I've been doing the website, and I tried to find the a film that made my year-end list that was the lowest in Rotten Tomatoes. And the one that pinged was The Secret Life of Walter Mitty from 2013. And um, it's a... Uh, Directed by Ben Stiller, it's a remake of a of an older film, and I'm trying to get my years of the film here a little bit. Uh, oh, it's a remake it? of a. It's based on a 1939 short story from James Thurber, and it's a remake of a. Um, I believe it was 47. When it came 47 out. is the year with Danny Kaye. I knew the actor, but I didn't get my year. All right. Um. So before we move into the main topic, uh, you know, mention uh any uh, cool films you've seen in the last week. Uh, let's start with you, Don. Uh, for me, I, I uh, it's been just a crap month and a couple of weeks in terms of main releases, so I haven't really dove into anything like that. I've been uh, s- sneaking my way through a little bit of the short film and independent scene. Uh, I saw a very good foreign film that's playing in town at uh, one of the art house theaters in Chicago. It's called The Long Night of Francisco Sanctus, and it's an Argentinian film. And it's kind of one of those, uh, you know, one night kind of films where it's a... Uh, you know, it all takes place over the course of one evening where he's trying to figure out what he's going. He's um, It takes place in 1977 during the uh, military dictatorship occupation of Argentina. And um, 
obviously kind of the you know revolutionary people or the more democratically minded people are kind of suppressed during this time and um he's kind of been presented with an opportunity to help out with that cause by warning a couple of people who might get picked up by the government and forcefully disappeared which happened to eight thousand or more people in argentina during this time so it's this moral dilemma of a family man trying to who used to be kind of a hot-headed college guy settled down to become a family man and he's kind of been you know propositioned by a friend to kind of thrust himself back into action and kind of put himself at risk to in order to save some innocent lives and um it's kind of a not not quite a a tense super intense thriller but kind of that that moral thriller that kind of builds a little bit like will he or won't he Mm -hmm. um not a bad film you know uh, a a tight 80 minute film um really well done in terms of like um kind of that not so much a claustrophobic setting because it's him wandering the streets of buenos aires at night but um kind of intimate in the way that you feel his emotions you feel his paranoia of who's watching me who's following me am i going to get caught uh the other film i watched this week was a, a short film that kind of came across my wire. Uh, the the writer and director kind of propositioned me to see it, and he wanted a critic's opinion. It's called, uh, I don't know if anyone will ever find it, it's trying to search on the festival scene. It's called uh, The Other Place, and the filmmaker is Lee Amir Cohen. And um, kind of a, um, a pulpy noir kind of wannabe thing about a, uh, a brother and sister kind of hit squad team who have two victims tied up, and they kind of wax poetically about whether or not they're going to kill him or not short film 18 minutes uh nice film real ton of atmosphere uh strong kind of pushy good performances i really enjoyed it a lot i i got what he was trying to do even though it's kind of a a seedy and dark kind of film not the kind of a skin crawling kind of variety of film but it was really well done well nice uh how about you james so i haven't really been able to see a whole lot um i wanted to see wind river but one of the unfortunate things about living in commerce is there's not a lot of theaters nearby that play the more uh, limited releases and wasn't able to make it out the the hour drive I would need to make to see it. Um, So I was mainly limited to um, things to watch here that I could rent or buy. I ended up making my foray into Wes Anderson. Um, (laughs) I started probably started with the movie that people would say not to start with, uh, which is Grand Budapest Hotel, his most recent one. But I I really, really loved it. Uh, I see the appeal of him now. It's, what, I, what I loved about this movie is you can see his touch in every aspect of it, like the cinematography, the music, yeah. even the subtlety of the performances, like the way people would tilt their head. Everybody's acting quirky, but... I mean, there's quirky, and then there's, like, Wes Anderson quirky. Like, everything is just so cohesive to one singular vision that even when the plot, like, technically just kind of wandered, well, you know what's going on, it kind of keeps going for a little bit, it's never, ever boring, just because everything on screen is just so well done, and I, I can't help but figure, like, but think that what I'm looking at on screen is exactly what he saw in his head, because it just feels so precise. And uh, if that's any indication of what his filmography is like, then I feel like I'm going to really, really end up enjoying him. I think you'll find fun things there. Uh, to me, Grand Budapest Hotel is this kind of, I, I know the, the word is overused, but epic. Like it's, it's definitely his biggest kind of production in terms of size and scope and all that. And, um, but that, that style and that, that, like you said, that deliberate nature of things is in everything he does big and small. So if you, if you thought it was kind of a little superfluous in the size that it was in Grand Budapest, his smaller stuff you'll just love. Yeah. 
Um, one of the things that was interesting is you, you mentioned it was epic, and it's weird because the movie manages to be epic and like quietly quaint at the same time. <laughs> it's just a really fun balance. Um, and the only other movie I saw was Hush. I finally got around to watching it on Netflix. And I'm thinking that Mike Flanagan may be a new favorite of mine. All I've seen from him is Hush and Oculus, but to me, it's a shame that Oculus went so under the radar because there's a lot of bad, scary movies that come out every year but get a lot of attention. And this one just kind of came and went. And I uh, I saw it a while ago, a couple years ago, Oculus, and I thought it was really, really great. And I didn't bother looking who it wa- uh, who had directed it. And so I watched Hush a couple of nights ago on Netflix. And I was like, this is, for a movie that has only four stars, and only two of which get any sort of real major amount of screen time and very minimal dialogue, this held my attention start to finish. Um, so it's like, I, I just thought, like, this is very, very impressive filmmaking. So I looked it up, and I looked at his filmography, and I loved Hush, and I loved Oculus. And I know that kind of the... Uh, the consensus around Ouija 2 was that it was just vastly superior to the first. So I'm probably going to end up checking that out soon. And hopefully I've been really trying to uh, become even more familiar with the horror genre, even though I'm already a fan, but I feel like there's a lot of really good directors out there with a really robust filmography. So I'm trying to give a lot more directors a shot. James, you're a better man than me. I can't, not that I know the stomach for it. I just don't have the super interest in it where Horror is my my deepest canyon of stuff. Uh, Gabriel, are you a big horror guy? Absolutely not. Um, yeah, I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking about letting James do a uh, a month of horror this October, but uh, I'm not yes, looking forward to it. Let him do it. <laughs> there's there's a lot of great horror that I think is a really underappreciated, and it seems like a lot of people think that horror is really hard to come by, and that's true only in that. It's not advertised the way others are, mm-hmm. but it's not scarce. Like if you're willing to look, I almost feel like we're living in a, I feel like we're living almost in a, a secret renaissance of horror because there's, there's a lot of really good stuff out there that just goes unnoticed for the people who aren't specifically looking for and it. And I'm going to stick with my secret life of Walter Mitty's, if you don't mind. Yeah, <laughs> such a, that's a heroin <laughs> horror movie right there. Volcanoes and, and, and press negatives. Yeah, good job. All right, uh, so is that all you've seen, James? Yeah, that's it for me. Uh, I've seen quite a bit. Uh, I'll run through it real quick. Uh, I finally saw Jaws for the first time, and it Man. is every bit as good as everyone has ever said ever since I got into film. So that mm-hmm. was, I mean, it's scary going back and watching these classics because yeah. so often they just can't live up to the hype. But this is a perfect film. Uh well, I mean, that's a th- it's one of those things where we were saying it with the horror. It's one of those things where I, the power is in the unseen part. You know, it's it's all the suggestive part. Like, you don't see that shark till the end of the film. Mm-hmm. You know it's there. When that little boy gets, you know, taken away on the little, you know, wakeboard. Uh, you mm-hmm. barely see it. But, boy, it just – the way they shoot the camera, the way they film the scene, the, the, that reverse zoom on Roy Schneider. Oh, man, they just, they just shoot the heck out of those films, and it's just so much – yeah, it's good. Yeah, and it's so built so slowly where we, we get to know all three of the lead characters are these wonderful, completely distinctive people that I could spend an entire film with each each one of them. Uh, and also, even it has a very fun kind of quaint tone, but when it needs to, 
it'll kill a kid. So yeah, it, it has it's still a vacation it, it, movie in Martha's Vineyard, but you're right. They'll kill a kid. Yeah. So know? it's this beautiful little balance of just like it hits every aspect that a popcorn need, film needs to hit and, you know, created the popcorn, the summer blockbusters we have now. So you just really uh, fantastic film. That's a, uh one of my all-time favorite movies and people are usually kind of taken aback and I don't know if y'all will be that's actually probably my favorite Spielberg movie um to me it's fair you to put get on that list I, f- I can do that there's probably like between five and ten of his that like you could choose any of those and it's it's not a wrong answer but I don't know for me that movie is just so well round uh rounded the acting is amazing the cinematography is just incredible. There are some shots, especially uh, as they're isolated on the boat towards the last third. There are just I, I I've been able to see it um, on the in the theater twice because of the Alamo Draft House, and this last time I saw it, it was this year. I even forgot there there are moments where I've seen this movie so many times, but I still get taken just almost by surprise. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, everything about that movie it's it's faultless in my eyes. So. I was as you as you announced that you were seeing it on Facebook. I was kind of like biting my teeth over the course of the two hours. Like, oh, I don't I don't know if I can record another episode with him if he doesn't give it five stars. <laughs> what else did you see this week, Gabriel? Uh, I saw Death Note, uh, Adam Wingard's adaptation of some kind of manga that I haven't seen, and I'm glad I didn't because it seems like everyone who saw the manga is like going out of their way to say how much they hated it. Uh, but I really enjoyed it. Um, like a uh, like the guest and your next it's kind of it's just an exercise in style over substance that's kind of what adam wingard does but he does it very well and he makes films that are like very very slick very stylized kind of nasty uh but very enjoyable um and this was no exception it has a lot of issues it's really really rushed and sometimes the made for tv can kind of come through but uh still just a really slick little stylized uh film that uh, just is it's a uh, very like very colorful, great use of music, really good cin- cinematography, and uh, also I really enjoyed the performances. Uh, there's really nothing of like substance there. I mean, the concept could have been really well explored, but it really isn't. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so it just ends up being fun. Sure. From what I've heard, the uh, the anime apparently does a far better job of exploring that concept and being very much substance with style. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I, I've, I've been watching Adam Wingard's uh, career. I haven't seen any of his filmography, but I've like been seeing the the watching the movies he's been releasing. Uh, although I guess really it's just Death Note since I found out that he's going to be the one to direct uh, Godzilla vs King Kong, which mm-hmm. uh, I really want to be good because I'm an enormous Godzilla fan. So uh. I'm. If, I'm happy to see his uh his movies get good reviews. Yeah, um, and then I saw uh, Netflix's The Siege of either Jadotville or Jadotville. I didn't. Even, I should have looked it up the pronunciation, but it's a it's a film about a, a group of Irishmen who were sent to the Congo, um, a, like a military group that was with the UN, and they were attacked by a bunch of French mercenaries, and there was a, a siege. Um, oh, why? What kind of time period are we talking about? Gabriel? This is. Uh, 60s 70s okay possibly late 50s um it was just like you know right on the cusp of you know decolonization um so but but 
uh, so it's just surrounding this one this one battalion that was in this one area surrounded and kind of you know like kind of a black heart down kind of, or we were soldiers kind of thing it's a it's a very small but i think that was really really well made very well focused you know just shows the thing and, and finishes doesn't get preachy or you know over long and or too melodramatic um like nothing spectacular it's just a really effective little war film if you are if you're into that that sort of uh movie if you like war films it's uh well worth watching um and uh what's the what's the 50 shades of gray guy's name uh forget uh, he's a lead uh oh jamie dornan yeah yeah he can act so hey he's he can apparently no i don't know I, I haven't seen 50 shades of gray so I... I haven't seen it either yeah all right uh I'm over the age of 25 <laughs> Yeah. And I'm not a 40 year old woman reading sweaty novels, <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm I miss it right in the middle. Sorry. I think there's a correlation between ticket sales and amount of women who are of that demographic in America, because I'm kind of convinced. All right, and that is all I've seen. Anything else you guys want to mention before we move into the main review? I think I'm ready. Yeah, it's it's slow this week. I, I think um like oh, I get the press credentials, so I get to be that guy. I think I see. Home Again and Rebel in the Rye this week. So it's kind of a, a small indie film week. I'll let you know how those turn out. Nice. I'm jealous. All right, let's begin our review of The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. The Secret Life of Walter Mitty was released in 2013. It was directed by Ben Stiller on a budget of $90 million. It grossed $188 million. It stars Ben Stiller, Kristen Wiig, Adam Scott, Shirley MacLaine, Katherine Hahn, and Sean Penn. It was written by Steve Conrad. It was shot by Stuart Dryberg, and the music was done by Theodore Shapiro, Jose Gonzalez, and Rogue Gallery. And I'm going to get you to read a brief synopsis, Don, if you don't mind. When his job along with that of his co-worker are threatened, Walter Mitty takes action in the real world, embarking on a global journey that turns into an adventure more extraordinary than anything he could have ever imagined. All right. Um, so this is your pick, Don. Why don't you tell us you know, why you wanted to bring it on? Well, I wanted to bring it on because um, I, I, I mean, I, I think the, a lot of the negative reviews I've read since the film came out are, you know, how you know, the typical terms, you know, how saccharine it is or, or just how even melodramatic it is or just how cheesy it is or just how, I don't know, kind of farcical and daydreamy and just kind of, they call it unfocused and things like that. But I don't know when I watch the film, I just see what films were about, you know, the, the idea that like the, the medium of film is meant as a visual medium is meant to be something that brings our imagination to life. And ever since we, Ever since I shouldn't say we, because I wasn't there a hundred, you know, fifteen years ago. But ever since they started making films, you know, whether it's George Malay's making a trip to the moon, or you know, Jules Verne and the Impossible Voyage, and and just you know, since film has started, it's about making fantasy come alive. And what's more personal of a fantasy than our daydreams? And some of us are those daydreaming kind of people that you know zone out a little bit. You know, we have a very ADD kind of society that we are in. We're a very, you know, visual kind of thing. So for a movie to kind of tap into that in, in, in a way that brings those to life in, in, in an interesting way and in a narrative way that has a little fun with it. And I like it. And the way that this film did it, the way that Stiller did it, it's just so earnest that I just, I don't know, I fell in love with it. I really liked how heartfelt it was underneath 
all the daydreams. I like the restraint that uh, Ben Stiller had, you know, because, you know, I think this is the same Ben Stiller we always think of as, you know, over-the-top characters like the cable guy and White Goodman and, and from Dodgeball and stuff like that. So to see him kind of be almost like a Dustin Hoffman-esque kind of lead actor where it's less is more out of him. I know he's still kind of in his daydreams, gets to play like a mountain climber and things like that or get into little actiony things. But I don't know. This was a good straight face performance from, from Steve Carell. But so, yeah, the film just kind of, I don't know, it hit me in a good way about just how it brought imagination to life. And it did it in a very literal and visual way that was just pleasing. Um, interesting story, obviously great locales and all that. I know I'm pecking every single thing that's in my brain about this film into a paragraph, but I really, my root of it was, you know, imagination to make fantasy come alive. I think that was the touchstone for this film that really stuck for me. Yeah. Th- that, that was one thing that stuck out to me, you know, even like back when the trailers first came out was the way it, you know, realized what it's like just to daydream, you know, when you, you, it's like, man, what if I jumped out that window and landed on that train and then ran down there and saved that, that cute girl I have a crush on and kind of that kind of thing. It, it and the way it, it blends that the reality yeah. in with the daydreams is so seamless. Oh, I know. And it just, it, it feels at least like the, the way I daydream, it, it felt very real to that. Um, and capture that in a way that, that I think it is incredibly special. I like the uh, the way y'all are talking about how it transitions into the daydreams because it could have just been like cut to black and now we're going to be obvious we're in a daydream. And I mean, it was it obviously made itself obvious when he was daydreaming, but it it began kind of the way daydreams usually begin, where you don't even realize you were zoning out. You were thinking about one thing, and two minutes later, you're like, oh crap, what was I doing? Uh, and so this, it, he's just standing there, and the next thing you know, it he's jumping out of a window and going and doing this and getting into this fight, and it's it just happens right in the moment. And then the other characters in the movie kind of snap him back to reality the same way it's snapping the viewers. Like, okay, all right, so we're we're back to the uh, the main story. Kind of we we get lost in his daydream with him, and then the reality takes over for the viewer as well as Walter himself. Yeah, and I, I have to admit, in in kind of a core moment of the film, when he does kind of make that decision to get on the plane and go to Greenland, I admit when I'm in the theater and I'm watching it, I'm like, oh boy, here we go. I thought that was going to be a daydream, and then all of a sudden it keeps going and it keeps going. You're like, wait, he's really doing it. Look at him go. He's really doing it. And it, I don't know, it just swells your heart a little bit that he's that he's that he's doing it. That he, you know, got those balls together and grabbed that briefcase and he ran and he did it. You know, and, and I don't know, it's it's always fun to watch a character you root for succeed especially a guy where you watch him like you said in those daydreams earlier in the film kind of be a bit of a loser you know kind of belittled by his boss marginalized by love interest and things like that so to see him kind of i don't know finally grab the bull by the horns and go after it and to go after it in such a obviously a grand scale now completely not the most believable scale but i mean (laughs) fun nonetheless you know yeah this the the entire character of walter mitty you know someone who who you know he's had the same job for 16 years he you know he doesn't talk to anyone he he never had he never uses his whatever witty comeback at the boss who's just belittling him or he never talks to the girl i think it really um you know it uh, kind of uh hit me as well you know as someone who can be very anxious so mm-hmm. and i liked how even though once he made that choice to go to greenland 
It's not like everything was completely behind him. And now every choice in life, yeah. he's, always, he's, he's just going to look it in the eyes and do it. Even then, after he gets to Greenland, he's like, oh, well, he's gone. And if you want to see him, you have to fly on this helicopter with his drunk pilot. And he's like, he's again, he's petrified. He he already did this huge step. He went to Greenland, for goodness sake. But he still, he still has to make that, other, that next choice. And it's still just as hard. And I like how that is the moment where his daydreams and his reality merge. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when, when, you know, she's singing, he, he really is getting out of the helicopter, but she's there, you know, serenading him off with a, that really lovely uh, David Bowie song. And then I, I, I don't think he actually fought a shark. I think he probably did. did that. Yeah. I don't think that's actually part of reality, but whatever. And so, you know, and then after that, for a good portion of the film, the daydreams are gone. He doesn't need them. You know, his life is the daydreams he's been having. Um, and you know, I like, you know, once he gets back and starts kind of slump back into his old life, that's when the daydreams start to kind of crop up. And I like how the film doesn't, even though it, it definitely is saccharine in moments, I think it, it, there's a very heightened nature to it all. I think the way the characters grow feels very authentic. Like he doesn't like a lesser film would have had Kristen Wiig being like, have him and Kristen Wiig being together like halfway through the film. Yeah. I and agree. instead, uh, spoilers, by the end, they're like at the place he would have been like if he had like in the first five minutes asked her on a date. Like they haven't even gone on a date. They're just they're just going to you know, it doesn't automatically jump to them already being together. Already a thing. It just kind of spends the whole film. They, they you know have a lot of really very authentic feeling, awkward conversations. And then they they have a date set up and that's it. It, 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 it there was so many ways it could have gone on for a more saccharine and. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, movie-like route, but I think it there. As you said, there there's a uh, nice bit of restraint that is uh, shown throughout that I really respected. Yeah, I really liken it to like um when I saw Steve Carell, and this is a smaller film. I don't know if you two have seen it, but uh, when Steve Carell shows up as the psychiatrist in Hope Springs with Tommy Lee Jones and, and Meryl Streep, you expect Steve Carell to kind of be, you know, you know, Michael from the office, you expect a kind of a zany Steve Carell or you've, you've seen Rick Tamlin, Steve Carell. So for him to be, you know, the psychiatrist, you know, in a chair across from a couch with Tommy Lee Jones and Meryl Streep, and it's a romantic comedy, but for him to kind of be in a romantic comedy film, to be the straightest of the straight men out of those three, you know, towering actors, I was impressed because normally, you know, Steve Carell has such quick witted and, and, and a large, you know, kind of overdone mouth about the way he kind of does about things. So for him to kind of, I don't know, wait and choose his words and, and to do it a very straight part, I had not seen that out of Steve Carell before. And then obviously since then he's done stuff like Foxcatcher and he's really started to really mature as an actor beyond just the comedy stuff. And I think he's always had that talent. Same thing for Ben Stiller. Mm-hmm. For as much as Ben Stiller, we remember mostly for his over-the-top stuff, we forget he can do stuff like this. And it was really cool to see him I don't know. I, I keep going back to Hoffman, but just the idea of um, an everyman who isn't, you know, overly extraordinary, relatable. Um, and is Ben Stiller at the same time kind of playing his age, got a little gray in the temples, you know, um, loosening up a little bit. You know, I, we've seen Ben Stiller even since then kind of go back to playing younger than he really is. And, and I don't know. It's just it's a natural pairing with Kristen Wiig, who also isn't super duper young either herself. And yeah, I just. It's it's the straightest performance I've seen from Stiller, maybe other than something like Greenberg, you know, where it's just not, I don't know, we expect 
we expect the, the Ben Stiller we expect is always a, a very zingy Ben Stiller. And it was nice to see a straight Ben Stiller. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've always thought he's a more talented actor than people give him credit for. Uh, he's given a very robust uh, set of performances across his career. Between Even in his comedies, there's a lot of variety. But I do agree, it's, it is cool to see him probably the farthest from his comfort zone at that time, unless there's just a really smaller film that I'm just not aware of. But yeah, just this restraint. And I like it that it wasn't, it wasn't um, like almost comedically overdone boring. Like it wasn't this uh, bland guy who's where it's, it's almost like he's overacting being boring. He just felt like a legitimate average guy that you would meet anywhere who would have those, kind of awkward conversations and um so i i just really it was one of the most authentic performances from him it felt very very real and very human i'm with you i think hollywood i think in another hollywood trope you know if you're gonna if you're gonna tell ben stiller hey play it play a dork and a nerd he didn't like you said he didn't overdo it he's not there with you know embarrassing glasses or, or a physical appearance or a pocket protector or i mean you're right a very plain guy who just happens to have I don't know, an eclectic enough past. Like when he whips out the skateboarding moves to demonstrate that to Kristen Wiig's son, you realize that, hey, he, there's a cool guy underneath here who just doesn't have an opportunity or an outlet to be cool anymore, you know, or has aged out of it. And yeah, in, in a different film, I think you're right. That's it's overdone. You know, it's, it's you know, over nerded up. You know, it, it's Dwight from The Office instead of Michael from The Office. You know, it's 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 yeah, to the nth degree. Don't go knocking Dwight. <laughs> I, I don't mean to knock him. I mean, you can't tell me he's not completely over the top, you know? And because if you put a Dwight-like character in that same part, it, it's too much. It's not mm-hmm. the same earnestness that you get out of Ben Stiller. Yeah, and there's something interesting about like his appearance. Like, yeah, he's kind of he's kind of shorter. He's very thin, so he's that he's this weird line where he could co- completely convincingly play, you know, a dorky dweeb, but also. If he, you know, gets a bit of scruff, combs his hair just right, he can also play that. You know, he he, he looks pretty good. Yeah, and I, he's you know, good guy. This is something he he played a bit in uh, *Tropic Thunder* as well. I, I like how he balances that. You know, the way he he can convincingly, very convincingly, you know, mature from the kind of dorky guy to a more self confident guy who, who doesn't look too bad. Indiana the Jones end meets the lead singer for *The Cure*. <laughs> good comp. I don't know what's, what's *The Cure*. Oh gosh, you guys are so, not. Here we go, twenty-three and twenty-two. <laughs> here we go. It's, yeah, it's, uh, it's a, a band you need to Google. Nice. So yeah, I, th- I thought you know he he used you know his like his uh, just physical appearance quite well in the film. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I I, I a movie like this kind of gave me hope that um that he can do more like this. You know, I, that he would that he would kind of move into you know a mature stage in his life. You know, because he, he's fifty-one now. You know, so, but since then, it's kind of just been more of the same. I know he kind of did the Noah Baumbach film while you were, you know, while we're, while we're young, where he's kind of, you know, he's old, but he's tapping into the zany old stuff he did a little bit. And then, you know, he still did a Night of the Museum movie. He still did Zoolander 2. So I'm waiting for him to get, you know, a Steve Carell like part, you know, or even a Bradley Cooper's a terrible comp here, but just something, I don't know. I think he could do a mature thing someday. So I, I hope he gets there. I, I cause you're right. I, I, his talent is undeniable and it just, it comes out in great ways, but it's never, uh, we haven't seen the full bloom yet of Ben Siller. I hope it's coming. 
I, I wonder if he's actually is going through something of a midlife crisis because he's done this one. He's done, I think, While We're Young, which I, I think is also kind of a midlife crisis film. And I've seen trailers for the movie called Brad Status, which yep. seems to be another one along that vein. So I wonder if this kind of correlating with whatever kind of personal journey he's going through, maybe. He's also in the new Adam Sandler movie, which looks surprisingly not terrible. You and lost who me knows- Adam Sandler. I lose myself at Adam Sandler. I saw the trailer for this, the the Meyerowitz story, I believe. It actually looks pretty good. And Adam Sandler is someone who I'm convinced is a very good actor. If he finds the proper outlet, the very first third of Cobbler is a good movie. It gets terrible (laughs) afterwards. So the thing that I really appreciated the most, and it kind of happened early on, was the movie was very clearly set up to be a guy who's kind of coming out of his shell who wanted to be something he wasn't. He was, he was going on his first real adventure and really experiencing life like he had never before. And that's a story that I really liked. And so I, I thought to me, I'm, I'm already on board for the premise. What this movie has to do for me is to give me characters that I really enjoy. And other than that, it's all about presentation. And I, I love the cast and I thought everybody played their parts really well. So just on the presentation of the movie, I thought the cinematography was really, really beautiful at times. Yeah. Um, whether it's you know, these gorgeous locales that he goes to, or even just you know him walking through an airport, the the graphic design of things, like um, the opening text of the Secret Life of Walter Mitty, and then we get all the watercolors, and then the the mantra of life kind of appearing frame by frame as we go through all these different locations. And uh, the transition from different scenes, just there was a lot of unique stuff going on in the way this movie presented itself. Um, And so visually, I thought it was great. I thought it had a great color palette and everything matched the the visuals matched the movie's heart. Um, And then in terms of the sound, I thought that the actual score itself was really lovely. It was um, adventurous when it needed to be. Uh, and then kind of more restrained when it needed to be. And the soundtrack, the use of actual songs, I thought was great. When she sings him, uh, when, when she sings the David Bowie song and we have that transition, I thought that was a great moment uh, as her voice kind of fades into David Bowie's. And it's, it just, everything came together in that moment. The visuals, the acting, the sound. It's, there are a lot of moments like that where it's just, the director is just, crafting such a nice package where everything is really well done and comes together. So um, visually, I just thought this movie was a, just a, a delight to watch. No, I'm, I, I'm right there with you, James, because like to, to see that all of it come together in, in, in the artful way that it does and to sit back and go, that's Ben Stiller doing that too. It's fun to respect just the talent he has behind the camera as much as he has in front of the camera. Yeah, this the cinematography was something that stuck out to me a lot. I mean, and not just the you know the the travel ad parts. The entire film, all the shots are really well composed. Um, there's a great you know just like uh, symmetry to all the shots, and the use of transitions was fantastic. There's one shot that really stuck out to me was there. It was it was on the film, and that kind of faded onto the fountains and sidewalk in front yeah. of the building. Just like it, it's seamless. Um, there's a bit of like a Kind of like Jack Jackie Brown um, stuff where they were doing the uh, where he's running through the airport and like they're using the um, this visuals behind him that I thought was a really really interesting. Just 
there's never there's never a boring shot in the film. He really totally agree. Really uh, uses and then, then the moments when they're traveling are just stunning. Um, Greenland especially was the one that stuck out to me. Maybe it was Iceland, one of those places. One of the uh, volcano, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah, just whether it's just a shot of him walking and the the way it's just like you know a dolly alongside of him and it's just gorgeous the way it frames the background and I mean, th- this this thing this movie makes you want to get out and travel oh, it, yeah. it's, it's it's incredible does it make you want to open an eHarmony account how does Peyton how did Pat Oswald <laughs> do for you in the film um yeah that's an interesting aspect <laughs> with all the it's silly and it's funny but he's not overdoing it either you know yeah um I, I I think it should have stayed with the voice on the phone. I thought he was really fun with the voice on the phone. I think it, it kind of pushed reality sure. when, it, when Patton Oswalt actually showed up. But yeah, he, he's funny. And I think the, 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 the bit where he's constantly calling him when he's on the side of the Himalayas and it, it's fun. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, now to kind of cover the cast since we keep going there, what you guys think of Sean Penn? I thought he was really good at his five minutes. Right, very, he's the, he's the very right convincing. Scene, right? Yeah, yeah, very convincing as you know this legend that has been built up, and he didn't. He definitely disappo- didn't didn't disappoint. Yeah, whenever he finally sees it, you hear his voice, and he turns around. I'm. I remember thinking yeah, that that guy goes out. He was the guy on the plane that we saw going into the storm. He just, mm-hmm. like you said, it's. For somehow the uh, the image ended up living up to this kind of legend that the movie was trying to build around him. I could buy that that guy's taking pictures of super dangerous animals. That's the fun thing about Sean Penn is we know. I mean, we got it. Like you said, in five minutes, we got a very, you know, um, easy, you know, live life by the moment. Still Sean Penn. When we know that Sean Penn can erupt like a volcano that he's flying towards, you know, so. Because we know it's Sean Penn and we know that he's got just that, that gaze and that, that leathered face of, of toughness for him to be like, that hurts my feelings, Walter, you know, <laughs> just you realize, you buy it. You buy it that he can be high in one moment and then be the sweetest little teddy bear in the next, you know, that, that he has that range. Yeah, he, he played that, you know, the kind of guy who doesn't have, you know, the normal filter, um, but not in a way that was you know, irritating or off putting. He just, you know, he just felt real. Also, you know, encapsulating that, that, that wild side, you know, the guy that's going to go make friends with El Chapo and all that. Oh, I know. Have you, I mean, I mean, this is a fun thing. Well, it, with my age, have you guys seen like Fast Times at Ridgemont High when he's, you know, the surfer dude high school guy? I mean, that's the Sean Penn no, I, I grew up with. Oh, man. If you want to see Sean Penn in a completely different light, 1983's Fast Times at Ridgemont High, you'd be like, that is not Sean Penn. Get that man off my screen. <laughs> the clips seem to be like a Bill and Ted's kind of performance. Oh yeah, I, I'm pretty. I'm convinced that's kind of where Bill and Ted kind of get their shtick. Is you know they they grew up you know four years later or four years later than '83 with guys like Sean Penn's character in Fast Times. So yeah, Spicoli. I'm trying to remember his name. Spicoli. Yeah, um, I, I like you know the kind of mystery we're presented with. You know, he's got the the pictures missing. Um. And then you know, like the clues they lay out and the way they are answered is – it's a way that feels really fun. But it, it – and it, if it was handled just differently at any point, it could have like fallen like past the your suspension of disbelief. But I don't totally. think it ever did. Just no. you know, where, he, where he sees the thumb or the reflection of the ship or 
Um, you know, we're, uh, he has the cake that'll get him past the warlord. It's just little fun bits that are, that are like are laid out uh, in a very in a nice way and just pay off um, in a way that just even though it, it's all completely ridiculous if you think about it, it just works in the context of the film. I think the word you said right there is the best. It's, it just the payoffs are not overpowering, but they're, they're enough to just satisfy nice little moments, you know, you, and they're payoffs that deliver. If this was an open-ended movie, we'd be throwing popcorn at the screen. Like, ah, come on, what happens, you know, but (laughs) yeah, but it's not, it also doesn't go too far with this payoffs where like, like you said, with the rush romance, there's not some, you know, kissing in the street embrace at the end of the movie between Kristen and Ben, where you would think in in other movies, they would just fall into fallen instantly in love, you know, but Mm -hmm. yeah, just a gentle, Hey, you want to keep walking down the street and maybe hold hands, and that—that's—that's that's all you need—a nice, realistically chased meetup. You know, you don't need it to be Hollywood swells. Yeah, and and I I really like how it's if he had just asked her out at the beginning of the film, you know, that that's kind of where he would be at the end. But but the Walter Mitty at the beginning of the film wouldn't have asked her out. It took this entire film of traipsing the entire world, you know, to get him to that that one place. Um, it's, it's really sweet. Definitely. Definitely. I, I, I keep going back to that word earnest and I, I keep hanging my hat on that because one of the things that surprises me, especially from a nice, you know, um, a nice film that has this much adventure, has this much effects. It's a PG rated film. You could show this mm-hmm. film to a preteen and they would get into the same travel and the adventure and will he or won't he or will they or won't they. And I don't know. It, I don't, Short of something like in the last five years, something like Pete's Dragon, there's not a lot of, you know, family centered or even just normal, normal functioning, well-adjusted adult films, you know, of, of normal adult stories. I don't mean adult in the XXX way. I mean, adult just <laughs> not, not, not kid stories. Yeah. It's nice to see it's just a nice straight PG film about adult themes and adult relationship of normal maturity without potty humor, without R-rated gags, you know, there's, there's, there's a place for those. And those are Todd Phillips films and, and stuff like that. But you get to it. And, and normally that's Ben Stiller, you know, he, he's, he's not shy from the R-rated gags and all that, but mm-hmm. you know, but to see him shift and, and just lower the speed of this film to be, yeah, earnest, earnest and just PG squeaky clean, you know, um, inspiring, romantic, and, and still touch all the bases without having to, Go to extremes to do it. Yeah, that, that, that is kind of the slot that uh, the Disney live-action remakes are filling, which is why I appreciate them so much. I know like a lot of people are like, why do they even exist? And I'm like, because they're awesome. Oh, there's, I know. There's, there's this, uh, there is this uh, uh, market that I think is quite valuable. You know, the, the films that you know parents and kids can go, both go to and both you know, have a, a, you know, a solid – emotional experience and i I think i think a a, you know a 10 12 year old kid could you know pick up on the you know the themes that are being laid out and an adult won't be insulted that they don't make a lot of films that function on that level and and the other end too i don't think a kid's gonna watch this and completely they'll roll their eyes a little bit but though they won't completely roll their eyes you know it's a good meet in the middle film Mm -hmm. and i i Teenagers will all hate this until they're, you know, they, until they get to their forties, they'll start to like it again. Oh, that's probably why it pains to me because I mean, I'm 38, knocking on the door at 40, so my midlife crisis is coming. I'm sure. Yeah, it, I do. I kind of miss movies like this where it's 
you know, it's not, oh, let's have the parents have to sit down so they can watch a movie with their kids, and then when they go to bed, they'll watch an actually good movie. This is, it was a movie that, like I said, deal, deals with very, like, adult themes, and as, as Don, as you made the, dis, the distinction between, like, uh, adult themes and, like, just mature kind of topics, um, it almost made me think, this isn't a knock against it, because I've, I've already said I love the movie, but I almost feel like some of the the adult humor and the language from uh, Grand Budapest Hotel almost could have been rain because that's an R-rated movie and really could have... I, I don't think that you would have really damaged the integrity of the movie and you could have even reined that into just a, a PG film with that could have been enjoyable for everybody. Uh, like I said, it's, I'm not you know insulting the movie. That's just what was in Wes Anderson's head. But it is nice to see a movie that is well made, like visually well acted and everything like this, that you, you can just sit down with everybody and be able to enjoy and take something from. And it's not just, we have to, because the kids want to watch. Totally agree. And I probably should have mentioned this earlier, but you know, the, uh, the film we did two episodes ago, secondhand lions, I think <laughs> fits into that category quite well. Yeah. Great example of the same kind of idea, a PG film, the whole family can watch that isn't dumbing down for children and isn't too, Silly for adults, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, and w- one thing that kind of stuck out to me um, that it was if you if you can't if you don't have time to develop side characters, cast an interesting looking person, and you'll still it'll still do the same trick. Sure. Like uh, the, uh, the his uh, his his buddy in the um in, in the uh, photo department. Oh yeah, um, Adrian Martinez. Like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like he doesn't get a lot of development, but you know he's a he's a, he's a is a guy that has a distinctive look, and so he he still sticks in your mind. It's a, it's a performance and a part that uh, that you remember afterwards. And it was something that I also uh, noticed in uh, Kong Sky Island. It's kind of the same thing where you just kind of cast distinctive actors, and it kind of does the work of uh, not having to you know write uh, a full character. It's, right, it's and even and even having like uh, gravitas in a shorthand form by having somebody like Shirley MacLaine, you know, be Walter's mother, like you know. You don't have to establish her as this, you know, glowing mother of, of pristineness when when shoot, it's Shirley MacLaine, you know. So mm-hmm. that's kind of an, you, by casting an automatic like her, you can have still fun with somebody like Adrian Martinez on the side. So, yeah, my I mean, not that we're on the Adrian Martinez show or anything, but like I don't know if you guys saw Focus with Will Smith yeah. and Margot Robbie. He's great in that, you know, where mm-hmm. it shows you that he has a just a cheeky good presence. Yeah, even even though, as you said, Gabe, it, it may have been better if he weren't physically in the movie. They even kind of did the same thing with Patton Oswalt, where he's not a, a huge presence in the movie, but I, I, I knew it was him. I didn't read the cast, and I knew it was him before we even saw him. So you just cast people that will latch on to, even if it's not going to be a big role. And uh, the only thing that I wish they did, I mean, I'm okay with him actually showing up in the movie, it's like a fun little payoff, but it may have been stronger without it. I kind of wish that he was a little bit more present during the actual film. Like I would, I would almost like there to have been legitimate dialogue in between Walter's bigger excursions, where he's like, "Oh man, I did this today, and I did this. I never thought I'd do this," and kind of build up a legitimate friendship and like repertoire between the two. And um, but even still, it was fun to have somebody that I'm kind of already a big Pat Oswalt fan. So to to hear him come on as like this uh, e harmony rep was was pretty fun in itself. 
like did you want something like cross-cutting scenes where it's you know him on a headset and then when their calls end he takes the headset off and you see him kind of go about his life after working with walter and kind of going huh this guy you know having it kind of spin him too uh probably more of just like during their calls he would quickly like kind of like hey yeah or i did this and this and actually man i gotta go I would have liked to have, if if that scene just kind of continued on. Like I did this and this, and, and it was like this, and have a instead of having uh, Walter cut him off right there, it would have been fun to as he's on this bike, he's got all the time, you know, he he uh, he needs to have a, a legit conversation with him. So just kind of more keep the phone calls we got, but add a little bit more to them, just so that if we're going to keep his inclusion, it means a little bit more towards the end just because Patton Oswalt is like the one guy he's really kept up with from America during all of these big trips and so to have him be like his not his confidant but like almost his living journal that he's just telling all this to as he goes from locale to locale would have been fun I have to admit one of the fun things about casting is is looking at the film's you know, production history this film was in developmental hell for almost uh, let me do the math here um almost 20 years uh it was picked up in 1994 to be a jim carrey vehicle after he finished up with dumb and dumber so and the mask so if you can imagine jim carrey and i mean like 1994 jim carrey in this part where ron howard was tempted was circling this as a directorial thing and then the mask director chuck wilson decided to come over and you know try on jim carrey and then steven spielberg stepped in and thought i would love to work with jim carrey let's put me in there and of course when spielberg shows up then the whole film kind of has that oh gosh, it's the next Spielberg film. But then he ends up choosing like World of the Worlds and Munich, which is smart choices there. But then the hot potato continued with like Owen Wilson. And then um, the idea they were going to maybe do Scarlett Johansson next to Owen Wilson as kind of a co-star a little bit. And then Mike Myers in 2020, you know, 2007. And then finally a year before this film was made with Ben Stiller was Sasha Baron Cohen was signed up with uh, Gore Gore Verbinski directing and how different of a film this could have been with any one of those people. It's crazy how high profile this stage. You know, Ron Howard, Spielberg. Yeah, I, I remember this film. I remember in 03 when this was announced, like this was going to be Spielberg's next film after, let's see, 02. This would have been, um, gosh, I remember my Spielberg that well. But, you know, let's see, 02 would be Minority Report. Am I doing my math right? Like right after Minority Report, he's kind of on a big high. And all of a sudden, I'm going to remake The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. I'm like, ooh, that's going to be something good. And then we never heard from it for 10 years until Stiller, you know, digs it up. Yeah, and I, I could definitely see him doing that. I, I, I would definitely watch that movie. I Push. think, you know, something like The Terminal was was kind of his, like, oh, substitute for that. Like a, like a, well, the same kind of idea, like a, a, an earnest PG film that's... And, and you just brought my interest down a bit. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> I wish we could look at all the different alternate realities in which all of these were made. And pick out the best one because what's funny is you know it it's a very personal movie too because it's all about imagination and because Stiller not only starred but directed it I feel like he had probably the biggest input as to like what like oh, when you're daydreaming what would this look like and so I'm sure it would have been a very personal film regardless of who did it yeah it'd just be interesting to compare the differences yeah Gore Verbinski's would have been just beautiful like trying to imagine the uh like the uh the mind sequences in like Pirates of the Caribbean 3 uh, oh man Ooh. 
It might it might have not have it probably wouldn't have been good, but it would have been fascinating to watch. I know that much. And I would have loved it anyways. Well, I mean, both Sasha Baron Cohen, you know, you're not going to get restrained out of Sasha Baron Cohen either. <laughs> so, although he was surprisingly restrained in Hugo, uh, yeah, yeah, because uh, Martin Scorsese's eyebrows scared him probably. <laughs> I think that's about right. <laughs> and I, before, before we uh, move into our final thoughts, there's just a couple of, like wonderful little moments that I wanted to mention, <laughs> like the. Uh, after he jumps out of the helicopter, you're like, oh, it's just a porpoise. It's, it's very friendly. It'll protect you. Okay, that's a shark. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, there's a lot of like really uh, funny scenes. I thought, you know, yeah, there's a bunch of horny Chileans. Who, who, there's only one bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> the quick zoom on the bike. <laughs> The, the rental car in Greenland, you know, that the really, you know, I got a customer, you know, you want the red one or the blue one, you know, just, you're right. Little, little snippets of little things all over the place. Mm-hmm. And I, I like the moment where he, after he skateboards all that way and you're like, okay, wh- where is this guy? And then he flies by on a plane. And you're like, yep, of course. That's exactly what he would be doing. <laughs> and he's flying towards the volcano. Uh, and, and like that moment could have felt so stupid. But he, oh, yeah. he and he handled it in such a way where you know you have the guy coming back to pick him up and it, it just it just flowed so well it just kind of got by whatever on how unrealistic it was and just how uh, earnest the handling was. Mm-hmm. I thought that was what a great way to even though we don't see his face to first visually introduce us to that character <laughs> uh, who you've you've built around like this uh, this guy he gets all these great shots and he really goes to all these places. And we, we finally like get a glimpse of him, and he's standing on top of a bi- uh, biplane flying into a, a volcano. And like I said, it's it's not. I mean, it's it's ridiculous, but it's ridiculous within the confines of the movie. Like it's it's still believable. Um, and yeah, th- I just thought that was a really fun moment where he became a character. Then it wasn't just this name that was whispered. Uh, we we kind of saw the objective now. Right. Yeah, I like how you. Know, after all this is done, he finally meets this guy. He's like, "Well, I, it was in the wallet, duh." Yeah, and they're both like, "Kind of, you're huh. sitting on it." <laughs> okay, what now? Uh, it's, it's just a, it was a really great way to you know end the quest. I thought that fit both the characters. Um, and one final thing: what did y'all think about the product placement? Um, you know, you got E Harmony, Cinnabon, KFC, Papa John's. Uh, Greenland Air. It just. It felt. I've seen like, worse, you know. <laughs> you have? More worse. Jurassic World. Yeah. Jurassic World. Um, lost, the Lost World. The two, two Jurassic films before it. Um, any Roland Emmerich film? <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. Recall, oh. I don't recall it. It ever being inserted this kind of blatantly like the Papa John's or oh gosh the mo- I'll, I'll say I'll say a small nugget the most awkward and blunt product placement I've ever seen is um the Thomas Crown Affair remake with Rene Russo 1999 she um mm-hmm. she's trying to do this exposition to explain the case and she's doing it in a, in a very snappy dialogue way she's talking to Dennis Leary and Dennis Leary of course can 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 game with you when it comes to snappy dialogue but what does she do in the middle of the scene she stops to put quarters in the machine and buys a soda, drinks the soda, and it very stops all momentum to conversation way for the sake of drinking the stinking soda. It's the worst product placement, single scene of product placement I've ever seen. Where, I mean, yeah, I know the Cinnabon and stuff is in there. I really have seen worse. I really, 
like Stretch Armstrong and all that. It, it, it's a lot. I get it, but if you want to see the greatest product placement ever, watch uh, Google um, Mark Wahlberg drinking Bud Light, and I think it's Age of Extinction. Oh, I, I got a better product placement than that. It's pretty epic. <laughs> my, my favorite blatant product placement is um the head and shoulders uh, use in Evolution. The uh, the David Duchovny, Sean William Scott, Julian Mork, um, Orlando Jones kind of alien. I know I'm dating myself. It's, uh, that's also the year 2000, but um, very funny film. It's um, Ivan Reitman who did the, you know, the original Ghostbusters and things like that. And um, spoiler alert, they, um, cause I'm not really spoiling anything all that important, but the chemical that's in head and shoulder shampoo can kill the alien. So now they're like <laughs> pouring all this head and shoulders into like a fire truck and wish to shoot it at the aliens. And it's just silly, but it's funny. It's perfect. I'll, I'll go ahead and be honest. I've, I'm never really bothered by product placement. I'm not it's either. Just, to me, it's, I mean, it's all around us. So if a car pulls up and it's GMC, like, why am I going to care in a movie if I can see, oh, there's GMC. And, you know, sure, if he gets back and he's like, hey, I'm, I'm going to take you to Cinnabon. Like, <laughs> that's a very human thing to do. And so, I mean, technically, if, yeah. And so if we're going to give it a label, like, yes, technically it falls under the label of product placement, but... It never felt forced. And to me, if product placement doesn't feel forced, I don't mind. You can throw as much of it in the movie as you want, so long as it's natural. Like, yeah, you're at an airport, you're going to see that. He's got a toy from his childhood, and it was... I mean, I that was before my time, really, but I have have friends who tell stories like, oh, man, I remember Stretch Armstrong. It's like, it's this is just things that we all know about, so... As long as, like you're saying, we're, we don't need to stop the conversation so someone can drink a Pepsi in front of the screen for us. But, uh, but if it's, I mean, if it's just kind of there and they're, they're eating at a restaurant and it's one we know, I don't know. I've never really been put off or bothered by product placement. So what got you, Gabriel? I mean, I, I understand, you know, you got to do what you got to do to get the film made. I definitely respect that. Yeah, paying bills, right? I don't know. Maybe it's just the sheer amount, and you know how it's written, the Papa John was written into the like written into the film, and E. Harmony was written into the film, and the whole scene around the Cinnabons. And it just felt like at some point, it, it it was handled with a very light touch, where it just kind of felt cute. But I, I don't know. It it, it 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 just kind of stuck out a bit in a weird way for me. Maybe like the fourth time he calls, "Hey, this is me from E. Harmony," you know. I don't know. <laughs> For me, I've I always actually kind of like it whenever they do that because to me I, I end up rolling my eyes more whenever they're like purposely very vague about something. I'm like that's that's not how life works. And so if he signs up for eHarmony and he gets a call, like it makes it like yeah, this is the guy from you uh, eHarmony. It just feels very normal. And I've I've worked at McDonald's and I hated it. And it's a it's a topic that comes a lot. Uh, comes up a lot whenever I just talk about places I've worked or memories. So, I mean, if you worked at Papa John's, it's it's very likely it just kind of come up at some point. Um, and so for me, it, I end up rolling my eyes more whenever I see movies try to navigate around product placement than just have it. When they make fake brands of things, is that yeah, what you're trying that, to say? Yeah, it's, it's completely obvious that that's a Budweiser they're having their hand, but it's like... Yeah, either either hiding it and making things up or just being super like this is from the online dating service you just signed up for where they're not even really naming things it's like no it, they would say what it is so to me it's i, I do if it's going to be I, I prefer it being on the screen than see a movie try to jump through hoops to avoid it entirely okay <laughs> 
All right. I'm glad that didn't bother you. Um, so anything else you guys want to mention before we move into our final thoughts? I'm good. I think I'm ready. How about you? You start, James. So this was a, a couple of my friends here. This is one of their favorites. So it had been a movie that I've been trying to get around to seeing for a while. So I'm glad you picked it because it, it finally made me sit down and watch it. And I was really glad that I did. Uh, I One of the words that you've been using a lot that I I just think there's a reason you use it a lot because that's what the movie is. is it's just earnest. It's very, it wears its heart on its sleeve. It doesn't try to pretend to be something it's not. It's it's funny. It's it's well made. It's it beyond just oh well you know the the actual quality of it's not great, but I just really like the message. It's it's well put together. The cinematography is beautiful. I love the soundtrack and uh, the actual score itself. The actors are all great. It's it's a very fun movie and it's really enjoyable. And it's something that I could see just whether I go to my parents or if I'm babysitting. It's just something I could see easily putting on. Be like hey, this is a a really fun movie. It's very unique. It's got something that you probably won't see in a lot of other movies. So just overall, very fun and colorful and all around enjoyable. All right. How about you, Don? Like, what do you want to leave the audience with? Uh, for, uh, for me, I mean, I'll keep circling that word earnestness. Um, it, it's just, it's, it's just so helplessly likable that I, I just can't hate on a film that, that, that sought out, sought to do what it did, you know, to, to, to do a very, mature look at daydreaming and not you know make a raging add case film you know and it made a nice normal i should say normal but just just a nice approachable romance for people over 40 and not in an over-the-top way it made a fun kind of travelogue thing in an over-the-top way but still in a i don't know the movie just floats it feels like it just floats by in, in just a watchable thing i it's one of those films where i'm not a cable television subscriber but if it's one of those, you know, classic situations where you end up, you know, flipping through TNT and this movie's on, I'm glued now. I'm stuck. I want to watch it because it's just likable. Um, I don't care about the product placement. I don't care about the, the, you know, the, the, the cynicism other people want to put to it for being sugary and all that. It's just, I'll take. I will sign up for a feel good movie like this any chance I get. It's just a, a, it's an easy one to pull off the shelf and really enjoy and and to. To see Stiller do some of his best work as an actor, to see him do really inspired creativity as a director. And like you said, the movie looks like a million bucks, fun performances. You know, the, the takeaways on that are, are just too good. Um, I guess my take, the other takeaway I'd say is um, just, I, I hope, it's a, I find it okay that you can be inspired by a film like this. I think if the people that roll their eyes and go, Oh yeah, if I just had all the money in the world, I'd get on a plane and go to Greenland too. Well, why not? You know, go ahead and take some imagination and turn it to reality. Do it in little steps the same way he did. You know, you can tell before this movie even began, it took him a lot of courage just to get on a dating site and do a profile. It took him a lot of courage to get a job at life magazine. It took him a lot of courage to not be a skater kid. So if you can keep making those small incremental steps in your life the way walter is clearly doing and even even in a breakout way like the film shows that's awesome that's a that's a great takeaway to have in a film and i can't fault a film like that that's just it's just lovable and likable and i want that i seek that out every movie has a lesson <laughs> it does i'm telling you it's the niche in the website and it works every time yeah so I, again I, I would echo everything you said and as i said previously it this film really stuck out to me in a personal way, you know, as you know, the, the daydreaming parts really, uh, I really connected with and, you know, as well as, you know, that message, uh, just, you know, 
to go do something. If you want to do it, do it. You don't have to be afraid. And that's something that I think everyone could stand to hear here, here every now and then. And I'm, I'm glad this film, you know, was able to package it in, su- in such a nice movie. Uh, and, you know, just a g- really ni- good performance from Ben Stiller. Excellent direction in cinematography. I mean, I never thought of Ben Stiller as, you know, as like a particularly visually dynamic guy. But yeah. every frame of this movie looks as good as that frame could have looked just about. Um, and also just uh, really, I think there's something to look at as, as far as, you know, uh, creative use of transitions. There's a lot to learn from this as well. Um, and one thing, I, I normally don't like American comedies, including a lot of Ben Stiller's because, you know, the, the humor just feels so over the top and juvenile, mm-hmm. but just all the th- humor throughout this felt subdued and, you know, and, far more subtle than most American comedies get. Like the 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 pointing conversation with him and the two uh, <laughs> Sherpas on the edge of the Himalayas. It's just like 30 seconds of them having an entire a silent conversation with pointing or uh or the, the helicopter the, the, pilot in the bar, you know? Yeah. Or uh, the the the, uh, the X ray fight where he gets in a fight with the um the the TSA. I just it's 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 uh a, an American comedy that's actually funny and it, it doesn't over, doesn't overdo it and has has great drama. You do have to suspend your disbelief. You know, cynics need not apply to this movie. But totally agree. if you are willing to just go with it, there is it's 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 a, it's a great story. So I mean, if you haven't seen, it, I don't know why you've listened this far, but if you haven't seen it, just go watch it. Just don't just leave your cynicism at the door and enjoy. And that's a hard thing because I. I, you know, I'll call out my my fellow press credential critics. I meet too many people who are entirely cynical, and they just look at a movie like this and roll their eyes. Like, who would want that imagination? And I'm like, who wouldn't want that imagination? Mm-hmm. Come on, man! Like, settle down and have a good time. So, yeah. All right. So that was our review of the Secret Life of Walter Mitty. I hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, um, I'd like to ask you to please go and rate and review us on iTunes. We would be very grateful for that. And if you want to follow us, you can like us on Facebook, where there is Underrated Podcast. And if you want to find older episodes, you can go to underratedpodcast.com. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, we are underrated underscore pod. And uh, Don, I want to give you another chance to you know plug your website and all that. Sure. Search the term every movie has a lesson, whether it's the web, uh, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, uh, all those particular things. I'm, I'm trying to diversify and be out there enough as I am. I, I suck at Twitter, but I know I can get better. But uh I hope you enjoyed the. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I hope you enjoy my reviews and and find. Oh no, same thing as I do. I hope you find a takeaway and a nugget in everything you watch. Hmm. Um. And uh, we we actually met you. I should plug the uh, Feel and Film again. We met you on the uh, Feel and Film uh, Facebook discussion group. Oh yeah, hot, uh, which hot, is hot bit of topics in there. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a really uh, great group. Everyone's usually super polite. There's a there aren't any uh, trolls that I know of and all that. So. It's it's a, if you if you want if you, you like uh you know discussion forums it's a, it's a great group definitely um and so for uh next week I or actually I can't shouldn't say next week next episode because I'm not sure when, when we'll actually record again I'm gonna be traveling for the next two weeks but uh I hope we can get recording somewhere and it will be your pick James and uh, what are you thinking so my pick is one that for anybody who's really listened to this for an extended amount of time, probably knows I am a very big Zack Snyder fan. Uh, so I want to talk about Watchmen. I I stand with Roger Ebert, who gave this four out of four stars. I think that this movie is absolutely fantastic, and I look forward to talking about it.
Yeah, I was pretty blown away when I first saw it. That was like that was when I first allowed myself to think that maybe a Zack Snyder wasn't a hack. Uh, so, yeah, um, I haven't seen the extended edition. I'll watch that for this viewing. So I'm really, really looking forward to it. Okay, uh, well, I, I think I did okay for not having any notes. I think this is what you do every week, isn't it, James? Well, I have notes, but I give myself far less time than you probably do and would probably be beneficial for me. <laughs> um I, put, I usually watch it the day of, but I, I try to give myself a little bit of time. Well, thanks for coming on, Don. This was, this was really fun. Yeah, thanks for having me, fellas. Um, if you ever need another guest again, I, I'd be happy to come back on. It's always something good to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. If you think you can think of another movie in a, maybe a month or two, uh, hit us up. Sure, you bet, man. Um, and as usual, always fun talking with you guys in the group. Sorry about all the, the hate, and, uh, hate and push. And it, I, I tell you what, it's all good discussion. I, I enjoy the heck out of it. And... Uh, you know, I, I always try to tell Aaron, I said, if we all agreed, it wouldn't be a very interesting conversation. So, As, mu- as much as I shake my fist at my computer screen sometimes, I always enjoy it. Hey, me too. Me too. So until next week, we will see you later. See ya. This is ground control to major tongue. You've really made the grade. And the papers want to know whose shirts you wear. to ground control I'm stepping through the door And I'm floating in the most peculiar way And the stars look very different today For here am I sitting in a tin No.